According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Once again, we are in Philippians chapter 1 this evening. Philippians chapter 1. Although we're going to branch out from there because uh, we're taking a look at fellowship tonight. And there are fellowship verses throughout the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, the thanksgiving that he offers, he says, uh, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. And we've been discussing the tandem of thanksgiving and remembrance, being the primary prayer practices, thanksgiving and remembrance, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of, and this is where we presently are in verse 5, in view of your fellowship. And I know it says participation there in the English translation, the New American Standard, uh, but it is your koinonia fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And in view of their fellowship, their fellowship participation in the gospel, that it, uh, it added that element of joy to Paul's prayers. And so uh, we want to pick right up on where we left that when, uh, Sunday morning, uh, dealing with the blessings of fellowship that are that is far more comprehensive than just simply uh, chit chat over a meal. That's that's in itself not fellowship. All right, fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And uh, if other human beings also are having fellowship with the Father and the Son, well, then we may be having fellowship one with another. Uh, but we want to understand these things as well so we don't confuse them with what I think uh, too many uh, Christians call fellowship is not, all right? It's uh, social life, okay? Or it's uh, mutually compatible uh, sin natures or something. If an unbeliever can do it, it's not fellowship. That's a big key right there, all right? And so uh, we'll jump right back into that again here this evening. Before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Remember, God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight thankful for your truth, thankful for your faithfulness, calling upon your faithfulness, Father, to uh, t- take hold of our teaching tonight to open our eyes, to shape our thinking. Father, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we will need a substitute microphone runner again for the evening, if you have that ready to go. Uh, We have any questions we want to start with tonight? We like to take a few minutes at the beginning of our Wednesday evening format to uh, take any questions, things that... uh, were confusing, or maybe we were going 500 miles an hour so fast Sunday morning that uh, the heads were spinning. Uh, anything at all that we can uh, answer related to questions, we'll give Doug our, uh, our lead-off question here tonight. I've just really uh, been thinking a lot and dwelling and chewing on the fact that our prayers are eternal. I just wondered if maybe you could just explain that a little bit more or go into the uh, fact that... Uh, when we pray, it's forever. Mm-hmm. That when they, if they reach heaven. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, our prayers are manifest in heaven as the incense uh, in those bowls. And just by virtue of um, the, the fact that, that they come into existence through our, our activity, right? The, the verbal activity is praying. And as we pray, we are creating or generating or causing to come into existence uh, a, a thing, a tangible thing called a prayer, all right? And it manifests in heaven as, as incense in the bowls. And, and so it, it is a, it's an amazing thing to think and consider um, because anything in heaven, remember, there's no corruption in heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the... So anything in heaven, by, by virtue of being there, is is I think is is an eternal thing. It is something that's there for His eternal glory. It's not uh, the things that are temporal, the things that are passing, the things that are that come and go. Uh, that that's all earthly. That's all within the bounds of space and time and and our current dimension here. That's not in the Father's presence. So um, I'm I'm still studying it as a concept. I'm still I'm willing to 
you know, have the Lord change my mind or show certain passages to me. But as of now, part of what I'm considering is the nature of those eternal prayers that are offered up. And then so much of what and here's the thing, we, we are already, we operate in an eternal priesthood and He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world and so much of, of what happens there is eternal anyway. So it shouldn't surprise us that our prayers, our offerings are, are part of that eternal fruit that we're laying up in heaven. So, uh, but anyway, stay, stay tuned, we'll see if uh, I, change, I end up changing my mind on that. But that's, that's my presently, that's my working, my working theory. So, appreciate that. All right. Uh, other prayers or other, I'm sorry, other questions. We can bring the microphone over here. Thank you. Um, going back to uh, Jeremiah when you were talking about uh, monsters or actually should be dragons, jackals, and things like that. Mm-hmm. What were uh, what were the Hebrew words for the, that was translated as Okay, the, the word for, for dragon is tanin, T-A-N-I-Y-N, and the word for jackal is tam. It's the shortened form of tannin. It's just T-A-N. And uh, all that vocabulary, by the way, is on the website in the angelology doctrine that we did. And so you can find it there if you go to the website and search for the angelology notebook. And, uh, and so those notes are there in printed form and all of the audio classes are there. Because, yeah, it's tan and tannin. Uh, tan is usually rendered jackal uh, as if it was a, a canine type creature. It is a uh, it is a uh, a loathsome creature that haunts places. So if we, if we are going to think zoologically, if we're going to think planet Earth and animals, a, a jackal is a normal animal to think of as kind of a slinky, kind of skulky, kind of you know uh, animal that inhabits waste places and, and haunts, picks the bones off of carcasses and whatever. Uh, so I, you know, I'm not I'm not being critical of the definition of jackal. I just think that more thought needs to go into that combination of tan and tannin and, and also in the in the expression leviathan i think leviathan uh is is levi with tan in the in the levitical tannin uh priestly dragon if you will uh uh connected to satan before his fall as the high priest of the angelic realm so um, anyway you'll find those and if you can't find those shoot me an email and i'll i'll send that to you Somebody, by the way, I don't even know who uh, was uh, listening and I don't even know where. I do know who because he, he emailed, used the contact form on the website uh, wanting to know where we obtained that, that excellent uh, lexicon for angels and demons and spirits. And, all, and what, what was the source of that lexicon that I was reading from in, in, in teaching the, the angelology series? And so I had to reply to his email and say you know, that because he says, I don't think that product exists anywhere. Where'd you find it? Well, you're right. It doesn't exist anywhere. We we created that. That was part of our our homework and part of putting that together. So, anyway, it's, it's a powerful study, and I'm glad that that folks are taking advantage of that. Works out well. All right. Other questions tonight? Anything else that may be on your mind or puzzling over? Otherwise, we'll jump right back into our fellowship doctrine on that. Last chance. Remember, uh, Lewis won't be taking questions the next couple of Wednesday nights. So. Speak now or uh, forever hold. <laughs> All right. Well, then, uh, appreciate that. Thank you, Kevin. Let's uh, pick off where pick up where we had left off, and I'll bring this back up. This is kind of a spiffy little thing. You can find where, uh, although it is kind of small to look at, the idea of fellowship. And so, point five in the outline. The joy component or ingredient, if you prefer that, the joy ingredient of Paul's prayers were in view of or based upon the Philippians' fellowship participation in the gospel from day one. All right, It tells us what is the motivation for why he's constantly in prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. How many absolute terms are in this this short expression here? So uh, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That's one, all. Always, that's two, offering prayer with joy. In my every prayer, that's three. For you all, that's four. 
And it's just again and again and again. And Paul likes doing this. He likes pounding the point home over and over again. But he keeps stressing the absolutes. All, all, every, every. All right? So always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And I suspect uh, that that was not the case for many of Paul's prayers. For example, for the the, uh, Galatian believers or for the Corinthian believers. I, I expect that Paul offered many prayers that gave him no joy when praying for the Corinthians or when praying for the Galatians, for example. But I think for the Philippians, for the Thessalonians, every indication we have in this book and in First and Second Thessalonians that every prayer for those Macedonian churches was with joy, right? And this is part of the uh, the uh, hazards <laughs> of the ministry, all right? If you're going to be a pastor someday, get used to it now, all right? That not everything is done with joy. Some things are done with grief, okay? And a faithful pastor will do them anyway. But the things that are done with joy become rewardable for the sake of the of the uh, the saints that are so engaged. Uh, real quickly before we resume, uh, Hebrews thirteen is the passage I'm thinking of. If you're familiar with it, um, Hebrews thirteen. And with respect to the uh, some of the easiest rewards, any church member can earn these. Any church member can earn these. And and you talk about you know you want an easy way to score some treasure in heaven. You want an easy way to lay up some treasure in heaven and have something rewardable, something profitable? This is it, right here. And so, in uh, when it when it speaks about the um, uh, obeying your leaders, when it speaks about uh, being uh, in subjection, Hebrews thirteen seventeen is where I'm headed here, and and we'll be here actually before you know it because some of our quinnet vocabulary comes in here. In verse 16, do not neglect in doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So we're going to be right back here shortly in in dealing with fellowship and dealing with koinonia. Uh, But then verse 17 says, obey your leaders, really be persuaded by your leaders. We're going to talk about persuasion. Be persuaded by your leaders and submit to them. So obedience to your pastor is not some mindless slave thing of do whatever you're told to do. It literally says, be persuaded. Respond to the word of God that your shepherd is feeding. Be persuaded. Be humble under the authority of the word of God. Let the word of God convict you and persuade you and minister to your soul. And submit to them for, explanation, um, they deserve it. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) For they are such special people, you can't help yourself. No, it doesn't say that either. Okay? They're actually the biggest, the biggest clowns around because God uses the foolish things to shame the wise, the things that are weak to shame the strong. And so he picks the most pathetic Christians he can find and, and makes them the pastors. I can prove that. That's doctrinal. Now it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And that's the power of it right there. They watch over your souls. Just like a shepherd watches over the sheep and he's looking out for lions and wolves and snakes, the the shepherd is watching over souls. And they're accountable to Jesus Christ. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. And that's what I'm connecting back to Paul's prayers. Because he's offering those prayers, every prayer with joy. See, not with grief, with joy. I think with the Corinthians, he offered quite a few prayers with grief, and he says so in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, With Galatians, I think there was grief in his prayer life. He says, I'm amazed you're so quickly abandoning the gospel. But with the Philippians, every prayer was offered with joy, so that every prayer was offered with joy, and they get to profit from that. It's rewardable. Remember the definition of profitability is rewardability at the judgment seat of Christ. And so when it says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Do you see that there? So this verse is describing for church members, what is the fastest way to earn rewards and what's the fastest way to throw away rewards, all right, when it comes to causing your shepherding to be a joy or causing your shepherding to be a grief, okay? Now, if the man's a faithful shepherd, he'll do it anyway, even if it is a grief. 
The only difference is you lose the reward there, <laughs> okay, and uh, related to that. Anyway, so that's a thought that, that came to me there as we're looking here at Philippians 1.5. All right. So always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of or based upon the, the preposition epi plus the dative te, epi te, in, uh, based upon. This is what sparks the joy. This is what sparks the joy. Based upon your fellowship, the fellowship of you, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. All right? And the fellowship, of course, fellowship takes many forms. Fellowship uh, can be verbal. Fellowship can be prayerful. Fellowship can be financial. Fellowship can be participatory. As in the case here, I think it's participatory. They were hands-on, but they were also financially supporting as Paul traveled to Thessalonica and regions beyond. And we're going to demonstrate that tonight. What was their participation? Okay, And, uh, and what's the legitimate use of participation as a synonym for fellowship? And I think we'll do okay with it, although honestly our generation is a bit hampered <laughs> because uh, you know, that we live in the culture that gives out participation ribbons for everybody. And, uh, you know, winners and losers, and there are no losers, and there are no winners. And, and anyway, we'll, we'll let that go for tonight. But uh, I think in our day and age, the idea of a participation trophy or a participation ribbon is, is rightfully uh, mocked uh, in, in some cases. Um, we don't want to do that tonight because here's a case where participation is the whole point of the matter. That, it through, that participation fellowship is what we're called to do. And it's our privilege to do this. In some ways, this is the way in which you and I enter into God's omnipresence. We can't be everywhere, but we can join through fellowship, participation, prayer, we, uh, finances, when we support missionaries, things like that. We can, I mean, how many places were we all over the world tonight in our prayers? We made it to New Zealand and back in our prayers tonight. All right? You know, and so think about the ways as we participate in missionary work and evangelism and these activities. I think it's a, it's a great privilege. So from day one, they were participants in uh, his evangelism ministry. And so on Sunday, we started taking a look at Quinonia verses. And the Quinonia verses, of which there are 17 in the New Testament, if we expand it beyond Quinonia, Quinonia, as you see in red there, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, Quinonia, um, in the Strong's numbering system, it's number 2842. That's our noun for fellowship. That's our noun for having something in common. All right? Something that's shared, shared experiences, shared uh, anything. You, you have fellowship there. And uh, beyond the noun, we've got a verb, we've got some, some other cognate expressions, adjectives and whatnot. Uh, and so there's a total of 35 verses that um, I think are, are highly edifying. And I'm going to put them back on the screen again here tonight. And uh, we'll spend some time looking at them again, and then we'll move on and gain some new ground. And I understand some of you prefer the back row, so small type is a problem. We can make it larger. All right. And that doesn't help us so much because... Uh, that's all in Greek. So let's change it to uh, New American Standard. How about that? Is that better? All right. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, but okay. Something, uh, I mentioned this on Sunday. I'll, I'll stress it again tonight. Um, when you're looking at these 37 results and 35 verses, okay, because some verses have two, um, but um, when you're looking at these results, um, notice and maybe it, it, it helps to graph them, perhaps. Um, and, and you'll notice how few there are in the Gospels, right? We've got, we got an example in, in, in Matthew, an example in, in Luke. Nothing in Mark, nothing in John, okay? Uh, we've got uh, the book of Acts, but it's really it's in the epistles where fellowship takes center stage. And I don't think that's accidental, okay? I don't think that's accidental at all. So sometimes uh, helping look at a graph visually brings these things out. All right, because the one use in Matthew uh, is the, the boast that the Pharisees made that 
well, if we would have been living back in ancient times, uh, you know, we would not have been partakers with those that were murdering the prophets, say. And Jesus was actually condemning them in his preaching because of their hypocrisy. They were, they were building these great tombs to the prophets, and they themselves were the heirs of the people that murdered those prophets. And Jesus said, you know, he just rebuked them in that hypocrisy. And they were far worse because those guys murdered the prophets. These guys, the present generation is going to crucify the Christ. So, you know, which is worse? Murdering the, the prophets or, or crucifying the Christ? So anyway, they were very boastful about, you know, if we would have been living in the times of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. And so that's the use there in Matthew. In, Mar- in Luke, Luke 5 is with re- reference to uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and the partnership that Zebedee had with uh, Simon, with uh, Simon Peter and the fishing uh, business that they had there on the Sea of, of Galilee. And that's it. That's all we got. Two terms for partners, in, uh, in one in Matthew, one in Luke. And that's it. All right? Fellowship is not taught in the Gospels the way that it's taught in the epistles. And that's, that's key. Yeah, we do have the reference in Acts 2.42 that I like to use. It's in our church bulletin. It's the fourfold activity of the local church. They were continuously devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And those are the four functions of this local church. That we have, it starts with teaching, and we have fellowship, and we have communion. We have corporate prayer times, all right? That's the, the model of Acts 2.42. Moving beyond that, we see uh, these other examples, Romans 12, 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That's a fellowship function, all right? It's not a charity function, it's a fellowship function. Romans 12, and, and uh, we turned there on Sunday, I don't want to get lost in, in Romans 12 again, it's easy for me to do, um, but we have a passage here starting in verse 9 that shows you a recipe for a, a, a a blessed local church, okay? Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is a recipe for a healthy church, okay? Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent, you know, not lagging behind in diligence. I love that expression. You know, if if you're running by yourself, how do you lag behind yourself, okay? But if two people are running together or three people are running together or if a flock is, is running together, then it's pretty clear who's lagging behind, <laughs> okay? And I like that. I like the corporate application for uh, these things. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And we're serving the Lord as we serve one another. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. And that verb there for contributing is koinoneo. That means sharing. That means sharing. That means identifying with and say the needs of the saints. Guess what? That's my need too. I'm a saint. I'm with them. All things belong to, to you. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. And so if you realize that there is a need and you realize that, that you have the provision for that need, well then it's, uh, it's a no-brainer. That's, that's called fellowship. And, you know, it may be swapped around next week. And maybe you're the one with the need next week. And someone else will have the provision for that need. And by the, it's not all financial either, by the way. It could be any number of things that the need is filled with. All right? So contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That's still in a local church context, friends. <laughs> okay? There are persecutors in a local church. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. All right? This whole passage demands that you are assembled together together with the body of Christ. That uh, if you insist on being the, the Lone Ranger mentality of, of doing it your way and just being out there as whatever, okay? God didn't design it that way. He designed sheep to be in a flock under a shepherd. All right, so there's the, the context there. I love that Romans 12 application. Uh, Romans 15, 26, and 27 speaks of the contribution that's being raised by these Macedonian churches, including Philippi, the church we're studying tonight. The Philippian church and all the Macedonian churches, they were pleased to make a contribution to the poor. 
The word for contribution is our word for sharing. It's our word for fellowship. See, again, it's not the earthly definition or the secular idea of, of charity. It is a spiritual concept of fellowship. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in financial things. All right. 1 Corinthians 1 9, we're called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Understand what our salvation is. It is a calling into fellowship. And our fellowship is with Christ, it's with the Father. We'll, we'll see this in 1 John. That's where our fellowship is. It's not just simply a fire insurance policy. It's not just, well, you know, get eternal life so you don't have to go to hell when you die. No, it's so much bigger than that. We are called into fellowship, which should make a whole lot of sense to us because what does it mean to be lost, (laughs) right? To be in Adam, to be in broken fellowship, to be expelled from paradise, to be a part of that lost estate in Adam. And what happens when we get saved is we're reconciled. We're reconciled back to the Father. So, of course, we're called into fellowship with His Son. It's a great definition there for what it means to be saved in 1 Corinthians 1.9. The warnings that come in the communion service in 1 Corinthians 10 about the cup of blessing which we bless, it's a sharing, it's a fellowship in the blood of Christ. And I'm glad we had that this on Sunday. We were able to teach this Sunday morning, and then we had Easter Sunday, and we had communion, and we got to live out what we were reading. The fact that fellowship, that that communion, when we're drinking the cup and eating the bread, we are sharing in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, having that fellowship one with another. And so, again, with that comes the warning about not being sharers with demons if uh, you introduce idolatry to your uh, communion table. In 2 Corinthians 1-7, we have the uh, sharers of our sufferings. That's not usually thought of in terms of a fellowship, <laughs> but it is. That's part of fellowship. See, again, it's not just sitting around a table eating food. It's not a potluck, okay? Don't think that potlucks and fellowships are synonymous because fellowship is so much more. The fellowship of one another's sufferings, the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, the fellowships of the suffering of Christ. We'll be uh, dealing with that as well. That's the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings comes up in Philippians chapter uh, 3. All right. Um, So as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. That's 2 Corinthians 1 7. Um, Chapter 6, what fellowship has light with darkness? We're familiar with this one? This is good because you have all the synonyms. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. That's unequally yoked, right? Uh, For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So there's four synonymous expressions that are used in parallel. And uh, if you want a biblical definition of koinonia, I'd say start there. Start with where the Holy Spirit himself gives you four synonyms and gives you uh, these, these comparable expressions. What agreement? There's another one. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So there's a, an aspect there. Um, the liberality of your contribution, that's in chapter 9. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit in chapter 13. The right hand of fellowship in Galatians chapter 2. That's fun when you encounter believers from other flocks or other ministries, other countries. I get to go to Ukraine and extend the right hand of fellowship and the blessings we have there with uh, the saints in Ukraine. And all these uses here in Philippians, not just chapter 1 with your participation in the gospel, but also chapter 2, the fellowship of the Spirit. Chapter 3, the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Chapter 4, uh, the sharing of the uh, financial resources. That's what we're going to talk about when we talk about the specifics of how they fellowshiped, how they shared, how they became partners with Paul in his gospel ministry. Let's do the rest of these two um, you know, with our time tonight. First um, Peter five twenty two. First uh, Timothy. I'm sorry. First Timothy five twenty two. Do you know why it is? that uh, you are, we are warned not to lay hands on a man too hastily. And we take this seriously. We, we've ordained Pastor Cliff. We've ordained Pastor Dan. Um, we've got some more on the way. But um, 
some additional trainees that are headed towards that. Okay, um, the um, I know it's bad. The uh, uh, we don't want to lay hands on them too hastily. We're not going to rush them through a process. Why? Because the Scripture says, in so doing, we become partners, we become sharers, we become a party to their guilt as a local assembly blows up. Okay? 1 Timothy 5.22, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. You know, if if, uh, you put a man in a pulpit and he's not ready for it, what are you doing? What are you doing? Okay? Remember, if Jesus Christ doesn't promote, you're not promoted. So if human beings come along and try to rush a process and and you end up destroying a church, you end up blowing up a flock, you know, how, how many believers get hurt? Say, this congregation's got a history in that. Thankfully, it's 30 years ago, right? Or 1980. So what was that, 37 years ago? Okay, that was a long time ago. But Think about it. When, when, when the pastor fails, that, that damages an awful lot of believers, an awful lot of families, a lot, a lot of folks get hurt in that process. And so uh, the warning there, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share for share responsibility, thereby quinineo, okay, with the hamartia, with the sins of others. And I take that very seriously, Okay. And uh, you, you, know, you never want to get those phone calls when you say, you know, you answer the phone, is this Austin Bible Church? Yes. Is this Pastor Bolander? Yes. Did you lay hands on so-and-so? Were you a part of his ordination? Uh, yes, I was. Why do you ask? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Let's talk. <laughs> I'll pray for you. How about that? All right. So that's First Timothy 5. Uh, there's some powerful ones in Philemon. You ever, you ever study Philemon? It's a short little book, 25 verses, just one chapter, powerful book. And in verse 6 and in verse 17, we've got these expressions. And I think that, that um, they are extraordinary in the First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. All right. And in Philemon 6... He says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. That's working. That's, that's geared towards results. That's energeo. It's got to have an energy or an achievement. Okay? That the fellowship of your faith may become effective. It's supposed to accomplish something. It's supposed to produce an outcome. It's not just simply a mindless activity or just kind of a, well, you know, Okay, great, we'll have some fellowship. But let's get back to the teaching. Some people, they want to so stress the doctrine that they, they tolerate the fellowship only so far as they can get to the next, the next Bible class. Okay, Doctrine comes first, yes, but fellowship is a part of our corporate worship. Fellowship is how we serve one another, how we bless one another, how we encourage one another. And it is effective. Fellowship does things that teaching doesn't do. Okay? And so it says that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. And it goes on to say, through the epinosis, the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. And this is where we get to fellowship with those things that are within us. And we get, and that includes our, our victories, our fears, our defeats, our, our joys, all the position, possessions, every good thing that's within you for, for Christ's sake. All right? And the full knowledge of that, we get to, uh, we get to fellowship Share that one with another. All right. So if God lays something on your heart, you've got a a burden for something, or you've got a passion for something, or you've got a heart for something, or or whatever, that's a good thing that's within you for Christ's sake. Say, I've got a desire to obtain student housing. I would love to have a facility where our seminary students could live rent-free and have uh, all bills paid and not be sweating the, 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 the rent every month and, the, and all of that. I would love that. Love to have an operation like, and when I go to Kiev, it gets worse because that's what they have over there. And um, man, all their students, they, uh, they live rent-free in the, stu- in the student housing, in the apartments. 
And they're given a stipend every month uh, to buy groceries and to buy tokens for the subway, the metro, and, and, and different things. And I would love to have that so that our students can be focused on their training. Anyway, so as I fellowship that, as I share that, we can pray over that together. It's a fellowship that becomes effective, all right? And if I just keep it to myself and don't share it, well, I can pray about it by myself, but I would rather pray about it with everybody. See, and, and uh, we find some things and something crosses our path and we see an uh, old daycare building that <laughs> we never want to walk through that thing again. Or we, uh, you remember that place? Or um, we find uh, there's an 18-room hotel for sale right now. Hey, that'd be kind of fun. All right, we'll just buy a hotel and put it out of business, close it down and, and uh, put, all, put our students in those hotel rooms. Anyway, the fellowship of your faith. And it goes on. There's, there's another uh, fellowship application here. He says in verse 17, this is Paul talking to Philemon, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. The great thing about fellowship, the great thing about being a partner with Jesus Christ is the acceptance that we have in Christ. And and Paul was willing to be the the substitute. And if he's wronged you in any way, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account, Paul says. That's a blank check right there. That's powerful. But it's a type of Christ. It's a picture of of what Jesus... Because we were the ones that were dead and are in the slave market of sin. We're the ones that owe everything as sinners. And Jesus Christ says, charge that to my account. He paid it. He paid it on the cross. And in, as, as Jesus tells the Father, if, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Jesus tells the Father, hey, I and the Father are one. If you regard me as a partner, well then that sinner, Bob Bolander, is not an unrighteous sinner. He's been justified. Accept him as you would me. And I get to go to heaven because of Christ. It's a beautiful passage. But it speaks to our position in Christ. It speaks to our partnership, our fellowship with the Father and with the Son. It's a powerful thing. In that little book of Philemon. All right. Hebrews 2.14, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook. Here's another participatory fellowship, participatory sharing. In order for Christ to have fellowship with us, he had to participate in our humanity in our walk in the flesh. And so he was born of a virgin and he grew up and he, he, he was tested in all things even as we are, see, so that he could identify with us, be our substitute as he accomplished the work of redemption. Even to this day, he continues to identify with us when he sits at the Father's right hand and he intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes as one who fellowships as one who shares, as one who knows our frame that it is but dust. And as he's praying for us, he's praying for us from the first person perspective of having gone through what we're going through. That's powerful. That's fellowship right there. Described that way in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 10.33. Another text that's a good one to look at. The... um, Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. <laughs> you know? When the, when the persecution hits, and maybe it misses you and hits your neighbor, what do you, what's your attitude? What's my attitude? Like, whew, glad they didn't hit us. Wait a minute. You know, these Coptic churches got attacked on, on Palm Sunday. We go, whew, glad that wasn't us. Wait a minute. Are we, are, are we not partakers? Are we sharers? Are we the body of Christ? Do we pray on their behalf? Do we identify with them in that? So, partly and partly, and I like that. Partly and partly. We've had a lot of partly and partly studies, Right? from uh, in terms of uh, the spiritual gifts and the in part, in part. Well, here's partly and partly. Reproaches and tribulations and then sharers with those who were so treated. 
So even if it doesn't hit you, it still hits you because it hits your brother and your sister. And you identify with that. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You know, if they start hauling away property because you're saved, you're going to identify with a saved? Or are you going to say, oh, I don't know the man. You can be like Peter and deny the Lord. <laughs> say, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I wasn't even in town that weekend. I, who, who are you talking about? The check's in the mail. I mean, people get so crazy in their denials. All right? But if you're going to be a sharer in those that are so treated, and, and they're being arrested for the name of Christ, and you go to visit them in prison, oh, are you one of them? Okay? Peter was following along as Jesus was facing a trial and said, you're one of them, aren't you? He said, oh, no, no, I'm not one of them. You know, a Galilean fisherman, what are you doing here at three in the morning? Yeah, I think you're with him. Okay. All right. So I enjoy that. Good fellowship application there. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect in doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. That sharing is a sacrifice. It is a priestly function before the Father's throne of grace. That's why it's more blessed to give than to receive. In the process of sharing, you are actually storing up the treasure in heaven. You're actually accumulating reward to your account in so doing. All right? And uh, it is a sacrifice. It's a sweet-smelling savor before the throne of grace. That's part of our priestly function in the, in the church age. I noticed nobody brought a goat tonight, thank you. Or a, 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 a bull or something. We're not going to butcher an animal. That gets the carpet all messy. And we don't do that anyway, right? Because we're not Old Testament believers. We're church age saints. We have a heavenly priesthood that the Old Testament saints could only dream of. And these are part of our sacrifices here, doing good and sharing. I like that. I like that a lot. Stay tuned because that's coming up in our Hebrew series after Ukraine. 1 Peter 4.13, to the degree that you share fellowship, the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. You know, failure to recognize. How many believers, you know, grumble over the testing they've got to go through? And they, 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 they do the woe is me routine, and why should I have to do this? And that's not right. And I've, I've been a good Christian, I've, I've been a good boy, a good girl, and I shouldn't have to go through this. Why does God make me go through this? Oh, wait a minute. You got That's the wrong perspective. Why would I not go through this? What makes you think I'm entitled to not go through that? I get some kind of exemption card? Is it written in the fine print somewhere that, that I'm entitled to something Jesus wasn't entitled to? Who do I think I am? He suffered. Why do I think I'm exempt? Is, it, is a slave above his master? Who do I think I am? How arrogant of me. Okay? And, uh, and, and if I don't suffer... Do I really fellowship with my Lord? I'm, I'm dreaming of some kind of Christian walk he didn't have. I want to have fellowship with my Lord. And to be rewarded in the resurrection requires this. Those that, that minimize it or run from it or avoid it or, or try to get out of all their testing are actually trying to get out of all their reward. I find that to be pretty sad. So keep on rejoicing to the degree that to the ratio, to the, per- to the percentage, to the, uh, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. And whatever we share is going to be a drop in the bucket anyway. I mean, honestly, our, we're kind of pathetic in, in, in what, what he puts us through, certainly compared to what he went through. So to whatever degree, 1% of 1%, hey, praise God for that. And to that degree that he assigns to me, to that degree I will endure whatever suffering he assigns and then the reward uh, belongs to him anyway. Well, cast that at his feet. Peter himself called himself a uh, witness of the sufferings of Christ and a fellowshipper, partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. It's, that's, he identified with that. And so it's, it's fun to see this is the guy that denied Jesus three times the night in which he was betrayed. But later in his life, by the time he writes First Peter, he, he figured it out. He had a context for that and, and, and was making the, the right application. Second Peter 1.4, we are partakers of the divine nature. Are you familiar with that passage? 
He granted, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them he has granted to us, Jesus Christ has granted to us his, Jesus Christ's precious and magnificent promises. What the Father promised the Son, the Son has shared with us. And that's powerful. Because <laughs> the Father's promised the Son a lot. He's the heir of all things. So he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become fellowshippers, sharers, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So think of it in those terms. Next time there's a lust temptation or a sin temptation, just say, no thanks. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I'm going to fellowship with Christ. Not only in the fellowship of his sufferings, but the fellowship of his glory. I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have the, uh, the blessings there. Finally then, 1 John and 2 John, um, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Uh, if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. So look at that. We've got all these fellowship uses right here in 1 John. They weren't in the Gospel of John. They were barely in any of the Gospels at all. But here in 1 John, we have the book of fellowship. And we have the, the procedures for what we need to do if we sin. We can be cleansed from that and restored to fellowship. But even better, here's a way to not sin. Here's a way to keep from sinning. Walk in the light. Have fellowship with one another. Have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And as we do that, the blood of His Son keeps on cleansing us from all sin. We don't actually commit the sin. It's preventative. It's prophylactic. keeps us from that sin. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know the big takeaway from that verse? The big takeaway from that verse is there's phony fellowship and there's a bunch of liars that claim they're having it. <laughs> okay? We don't want that. We don't want phony fellowship. We want real fellowship with the Father, with His Son. And we don't want to lie to ourselves or lie to Him. We don't want to make Him a liar. We want to be walking in the truth, walking in the light. And if we do, walk in the light as He Himself is in the light. That's, that's, the, that's the blessing we have. As Jesus Christ was raised to the glory of God, we too can walk in that newness of life. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son keeps on cleansing us from all sin. That keeps us from... We don't need 1 John 1, 9 if we're using 1 John 1, 7. It's a beautiful thing. The last use in 2 John 11, participating. Giving a, a greeting to a false teacher. Sharing in the false teaching. Sharing in the false doctrine. And the reason why people do that is because they like the false doctrine. It tickles their ears. And uh, so they're very supportive of the false teachers because they, they enjoy the false teaching. And as such, they have a fellowship there. It's a, it's a satanic fellowship. It's a pseudo-fellowship. And the one who gives them a greeting, uh, Quinineos, fellowship participates in his evil deeds. We don't want any part of that. We want no part of that whatsoever. Okay? And that's why we're careful. We're talking to Pastor Tim Hankins about this today. There's, there's all kinds of missionaries in town and there's evangelistic outreaches and there's things and their church has been invited to take part in this thing. And it's, it's admirable. I'm thankful for it. They're going to have impact in the community or they say they are. They're going to go door to door. They're going to pray for different folks. And it seems interesting to me until you look into it and you say, you know what? Oh, wait a minute. I'm familiar with that organization. I've had dealings with that organization before. Look out. I think what you, you're going to find they preach a lordship salvation. Guess what? I can't be a partner with that. I can't come alongside with that if they're preaching lordship salvation. Okay? I'm not going to participate in something that I believe is a non-biblical preaching of, of the gospel. So take that for what that's worth. All right. Anyway, these are the, the Quinineo verses. Now, out of this then, we got to ask ourselves, what was that first day? <laughs> the first day of gospel fellowship participation. So let me get back here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, from the first day until now. Or verse 5. Always offering prayer with joy, my every prayer for you all, 
in view of your fellowship, participation in the gospel from the first day until now. All right. Well, now being the writing of the book of Philippians, uh, now being the present circumstances of, of Paul's being in jail and receiving uh, blessings from Epaphroditus and all the, all the things that lead into the writing of this epistle. So we know the now, we know the until now, we know the to this day uh, applications on this. But what was that first day? Your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What was day one? And how exciting is that? How many believers are really able to get on board on day one? And how many believers, you know, need to grow up and get some training and, and you know, dither around and finally come under some conviction that it's, you know, it's day 500 and they haven't done much and they want to get involved in ministry at a certain point. Not so in the Philippians, day one. Day one, they were on board. Day one, they were participating. And it's fun to think about that because it's special. The, the way he's expressing it here is special. And I think we can relate to that. Day one is clearly special to Paul. And uh, whatever, whatever the case may be, he, he can tell exactly when he's giving greetings and, and he's giving greetings in the book of Romans, for example, or he's giving greetings in, in whatever, and he says, greet so-and-so who was the first fruits from Asia. He remembers the very first person saved in that ministry. I remember the first person that got saved in this building. How fun was that? Okay? And um, so when you think about the first, the first day, day one, the first thing, and, and it, particularly when he gets to Philippi and first thing is he's thrown in jail. <laughs> okay? Although it wasn't exactly day one. He was actually there for a few days. And then he gets thrown in jail because there were actually several days, several days when uh, a little girl was bugging him, filled with a demon and halt, making all kinds of hollering racket. And uh, anyway, Paul finally had enough of that, cast out the demon. And it's interesting to me, what took so long? Why, why did he let so many days go by before he finally expelled that demon? What was, what was being learned in that process? Anyway, there's uh, more questions than answers maybe, but day one is clearly special to Paul. I remember the very first, and Ellen was talking about this at prayer meeting tonight, I remember the very first time I ever attended Austin Bible Church. And I'll never forget it. Okay? Because I wasn't the pastor. <laughs> I was an MP at Fort Hood. And I drove down to, to find Pastor Ralph Ron. I drove down to find Austin Bible Church. And I actually... I thought they had a Tuesday, Thursday, found out I got here on Tuesday and there was no church. So I had to come back on Wednesday when they had church. And um, yeah. And I remember I was wearing sunglasses. I felt stupid because I had left my other glasses in the, in the hotel room up in Fort Hood. So all I had was the sunglasses. Oh, But I didn't want to drive all the way back and I didn't want to miss church. I absolutely didn't want to miss church. And who cares if it's 7.30 at night and the sun's down and it's dark and I'm sitting there wearing sunglasses like an idiot. I wanted, I wanted to, and I'll never forget it. Because I wanted to meet Pastor Ralph. And I went to prayer meeting and I sat in a class and you know what? He was teaching Philippians that night. <laughs> okay? So you think this is kind of special? I love this kind of stuff. Paul loves this kind of stuff. All right? And so you have those, those memories, and those memories contain a, a significance that you then build upon in all kinds of things, all kinds of applications. All right? And Sharon was there that night, sitting about five rows behind me, next to Shirley Newton. And I didn't know who they were. Didn't know if they were, you know, mother, daughter, or what. I didn't know who they were. I knew the younger one was rather attractive. <laughs> And, and she was sitting there thinking, who's that moron in the front row wearing the sunglasses? <laughs> All right. Don't forget those things either. So we want to ask ourselves, what was this first day? And so um, we get a clue in chapter 4, because he uses an expression here. And in the matter of giving and receiving, in the matter of giving and receiving... Day one is when they sent a gift to Thessalonica. 
So in Philippians 4, we have a context here that, that I think relates very well to, to what we're talking about in chapter 1. Uh, verses 14 through 16, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And we've got vocabulary here of sharing, and we have the, the link with chapter 1 as it refers to the fellowship of the gospel. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, so here's another link, another verbal connection we have with chapter 1, that they were sharers in the gospel from day 1 until now. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the very first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. And so this is what's sparking his joy. This is the fragrance of memory that's sparking his prayers, that's causing him to write these things in, in Philippians chapter 1. He goes on to say, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. More than once. He was only there three weeks. How many gifts did they send? More than once, it says. Even in Thessalonica. Now, they also were a grace ministry. They also had a perspective. And when he uses the language of even in, you know, that, that's extraordinary because you wouldn't think that he would need that kind of support in Thessalonica. But he did need that kind of support in Thessalonica because their own funds were, were tied up in court, they were tied up in legal matters. Even in Thessalonica, you send a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. You see that there? why i said earlier i said when you share you're laying up treasure in heaven you're, you're it's a sweet smelling savor before the throne of grace you're actually profiting and an unbeliever will never get this with with, with human viewpoint and a worldly perspective if you're giving money to somebody then they have your money and you have less <laughs> that's right that's how an earthly accountant would would mark it off just put it in the debit column and whatever the, that ledger thing works, okay? Um, <laughs> my wife would know. But, the, uh, but so that's, that's in the earthly terms. Because I gave him some money, he now has more, I now have less, and the CPAs keep track of all that, okay? But in God's accounting ledger, they gave to Paul and they profited. The prophet increased to their account their heavenly account the eternal record keeping that takes place but i have received everything in full and have an abundance i am amply supplied having received from epaphroditus what you have sent so that, i think that's the until now from the first day until now and so the until now means Right here, right now, in jail, in Ephesus, he's getting this money from Philippi and he's writing his thank you letter to the Philippians. And that's our book of Philippians. Having uh, received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Notice, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And when you're properly oriented to grace and you're properly oriented to grace giving, you cannot lose. God won't let you lose. God is able to supply all your needs, as it says here. My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You never suffer by obeying His will in, in these matters. That's the fellowship matters of giving and receiving. The until now then would be understood as the occasion of their revived concern and opportunity to send Epaphroditus. They had a brief season whereby they did not have opportunity they had a brief season where they had to halt their giving. We can get a clue to that in, in 4.10 when it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. God never holds you accountable if you don't have the opportunity. He knows you want to. You just, don't, you just can't right now. He knows that. But when you do have the opportunity and then you are obedient, here comes the reward. And that's what this is all about here. I know how to get along in humble circumstances. I know how to get along in prosperity. And uh, I've learned the secret in, in all these circumstances. And we're going to teach this. This is going to be pretty comprehensive. And we're going to teach this spectrum 
a financial spectrum, a health spectrum, an emotional spectrum, uh, all kinds of spectrums whereby we might be rich or we might be poor. Financially, maritally, professionally, uh, physically, in health and, and so forth. We may be on one end of the spectrum or somewhere in between. And regardless of our circumstances, we, uh, we learn to be content. We learn to continue serving in these applications. All right. Now, that's the simple answer, but there's actually four other things we can think about besides the money they, they shared with Paul. There was also hands-on ministry, and we're going to talk about that. And there was prayer, we've got to talk about that. And we'll talk about day one may have been earlier than we think. That uh, there may have actually been a day one prior to day one. And so uh, we'll have to spend some time with that Sunday morning. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your faithfulness. I pray, Father, that we would learn these principles, that Austin Bowell Church would become the, the, the Philippi of our generation, Father. We want to be grace-oriented. We want to be fellowship participants in all that you do, in all that you do, Father. It is, uh, and, and we are already, and we want to excel still more, Father. Uh, to me, it's, it's staggering what, what you have accomplished with such imperfect tools, and, uh, and yet you continue to do beyond anything that we could ask or think. So thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the blessings of thanksgiving and remembrance. And uh, in all of our thanksgiving and in all of our remembrance with joy, we offer these prayers up before you tonight. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.